0: This is Art Matters. I'm Farron Gibson. This podcast is produced by Art UK, the online home of the UK's public art collections. Find us online at artuk.org, where you can explore art from around the nation, create your own collections, and more. You can also keep up with the latest news on your social media channel of choice by following us at artuk.org, spelling out the word dot. We often look at subjects within paintings to see what they can tell us. What is the relationship between the figures? Or why has an artist painted a particular place? But artists themselves can be endlessly interesting subjects. Their joy, sadness, and passion plays out in real life just as much as it does in any piece of artwork. And what inspires more joy, sadness, and passion than the fickle feelings of love?
1: Everyone loves a love story, whether it's like love at first sight or a big bust up or jealousy, or, you know, this is something that connects us across countries and time and space.
0: That's art historian and presenter, Kate Bryan. Kate wrote The Art of Love, a book telling the love stories of great artists from modern and contemporary art. The primary focus of the book is to explore the relationships between these artists and how these connections impacted their work, but there's another wonderful byproduct. In sharing these stories, Kate highlights women and queer histories that often go untold.
1: If someone gave me a book which I wouldn't accept but which was like here's a book about straight white men (laughs) then I would still make it about women I would still make it about queer artists I would still make it about artists from diverse backgrounds because that's our duty and it's more interesting and it's a more accurate representation of what art is it's just that those stories have been sidelined through the 19th century through the 20th century so yeah so there was obviously a major motivating factor which was you know put Picasso in your book people are going to want to read it. But if you get Picasso, then you can kind of use the star power of Picasso to shine a light on actually two artists who probably knew Picasso, who were very much in that circle. You know, turn of the century Paris, arriving in Paris 1906, um, Ethel Mars and Maud Hunt Squire, who were really well-established. You know, they were hanging around at Gertrude Stein's salon. The first recorded use of the word gay to mean same-sex love was written by Gertrude Stein about these two artists, Maud and Ethel. And yet they've been t- totally ran out of art history. They were established, they were you know, showing at the salon. They were really part of this great circle of bohemia. And we don't hear anything about them, but they were there in the same time and space as Picasso. But you know, they've got two great sins as we see it in you know, this elitist way we've been thinking about art in a very patriarchal way, that not only were they women, but they were gay women, you know? So we don't hear anything about them.
0: If you read biographies for many women artists, a common issue is that they are described through their relationships with the men in their lives. Too often, these artists are described as the wife of or the daughter of, instead of by the merits of their own work. This book is about relationships, but that doesn't mean Kate wasn't still conscious of this issue.
1: I didn't want the book to be like, these are the wives that have been forgotten of famous male artists. I didn't want it to be all little wife syndrome, so I was very mindful of including only artists who were both equally good and equally interesting so that you didn't dilute the, the argument. You know, everyone in this book is a great artist, whether they were the woman married to the famous man or not.
0: It's amazing to see how many artist relationships there are to write about. With 34 couples in the book, I was curious if Kate noticed any interesting patterns.
1: I think <laughs> to be daft, the, the single biggest thing that emerged consistently was, it is completely preposterous for two artists to be in one relationship. <laughs> what a mad, <laughs> <what a> mad <laughs> endeavour. Because, you know, to be an artist anyway is such a special and peculiar calling or, or career, you know, however you want to call it. I think we mythologize the artist, but there is certainly something to say about The idea that you, you know, are your own boss, you work by yourself, you are the sort of the maker and the master of your own destiny. You've got to be your worst critic and your best friend. You've got to make the work and get people to see the work. I mean, it's it's a crazy thing to be an artist. I think that's why you and I love artists so much. We're kind of so taken with the spirit of the artist. So then to take two of those people, you know, and all the insecurities and all the ego and all the passion and blood, sweat and tears, and then put two of them in one household. It's like, are you crazy? And so that kept coming back. I was like, wow, it's amazing that they can navigate this. And I do think a lot of the couples fell into, into kind of two categories, really. The couples that were better artists because they were together and that they found a safe haven and they found a solace and they found a kind of nurturing special place by being with a fellow creator. And the artists that there was definitely friction and difficulty as a direct consequence of having fallen in love with another artist.
0: I feel like it would really have to go either way. It's either great or terrible. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it felt a bit like that. I mean, there's obviously in any relationship, there's ups and downs and there's ins and outs and, you know, things change and evolve. I think a really good example actually is um, Willem and Elaine de Kooning, who, you know, were part of, this amazing period in New York in the 1950s when it became, you know, the centre of the art universe. It's such an exciting time to think about going back and hanging out at the Cedar Tavern with Jasper Johns and, you know, hard drinking, heavy smoking, you know, being broke and then suddenly becoming the toast of the art world. And Elaine and Willem were in sort of the middle of all of that and they had a bit of a Rough old start, you know, like there are so many affairs. She was actually sleeping with his art dealer, Charles Egan, so awkward. Like, you turn up to the opening night of Willem's show, knowing that the dealer that's showing his work, giving him this amazing exhibition, is actually sleeping with his wife, and everybody knows. Um, really tough, you know, a lot of alcohol and you know, fights. And so they break up, you know, they separate, they don't divorce, they separate for 20 years, and then they come back together again 20 years later and have a very really positive effect on each other later on but effectively you could say that she saves him from alcoholism and they they spend 20 more years together so there's a real ebb and flow there you know they never got divorced and they came back together Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera also actually did get divorced and split up but got married again a year later.
0: Sometimes the push and pull of these relationships is evident in the artist's work. Around the time of Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera's divorce, Kahlo painted a piece called The Two Fridas. It shows two self-portraits of the artist, each with her heart exposed. Her two selves are connected by an artery, and another vessel linking the two has been clipped. The work highlights how Kahlo felt torn between Rivera and her own desires, and shows her heartbreak. But there are also happier tales, where couples flourished and bettered each other. Sonia and Robert Delaunay are a good example of this.
1: Sonia is actually a really sensational artist, years ahead of her time working across mediums. She was making work which is in the domestic domestic sphere, so at the time felt you know, women's work, not important, fine artwork. And some of that work is the stuff that we now see in the Tate Modern when she had her exhibition there not long ago. You know, the beautiful quilt that she made for her son, the dresses that she made, which she then would wear for performances. So she herself became like a living, breathing work of art. And Robert thought that she was fantastically enterprising and pioneering in the way that she thought about art and life as one major kind of holistic experience. I mean, it wouldn't be till like the 1970s that artists were taking that on as a really mainstream idea in the art world. The idea of art being every facet of life. It's what's on the walls, it's what's beneath your feet, it's what's in your mind, it's what's on your wrist, it's what you're eating, it's what you're drinking, it's what you're thinking, you know, art could be any of those things. And and she was doing that very early on.
0: Together, the couple were instrumental in founding the Orphism art movement. This style was an offshoot of Cubism known for vibrant colors and shapes. Unlike Cubism, Orphism focused on pure abstraction rather than depicting forms and figures in an abstracted way. Sonia and Robert painted and exhibited in this style throughout their lives. Another couple who worked well together were multimedia artists Hans Arp and Sophie Tauber Arp, who were associated with the Anything Goes Dada movement.
1: Hans Arp really protected the legacy of his wife, Sophie Taobar. She died a lot younger than him and he sort of retreated off into sort of a monastic seclusion to deal with his grief and then really dedicated years to making sure that her work was carefully preserved and that her estate was created and, that you know, she was sort of protected and that her artistic legacy would be secured. And there's artists like Joseph and Annie Albers, who had such a great equal marriage, who were spending time together in all these incredible universities at Black Mountain. And he's at Yale. and But she's there by his side the whole time. She's really respected. She actually gets museum shows before he does. And I think that it's, we're so quick to say, oh, and Joseph's wife Annie is an artist too. And But it's like, no, she was major. Like, she was a major artist. And he really... her work extremely seriously they'd met at the Bauhaus school and gone over to the states together because um the Bauhaus closed he was one of the directors of the Bauhaus by the time it closed because the third Reich had come into power and he wanted to get Annie out who was Jewish and their story is a great love story of, of two extremely pioneering, innovative, fantastic artists who had so much respect for one another. And their home and their marriage was a really, really exciting and safe and comfortable place for them both to make art.
0: With the work of painter Georgia O'Keeffe, the support she received from her husband, Alfred Stieglitz, turned out not to be such a good thing.
1: Dieglitz was a very established gallerist and photographer artist in his own right when he met Georgia she was in her late 20s she was I think a school teacher and painting but not taking herself seriously she was a virgin she was sort of very inexperienced in the world and he really took it under his wing. And he sets her up in this flat in Manhattan and, you know, they become madly in love and they end up getting married. And he really is trying to put her forward with his position that he has in the New York society as this like great new American modernist female painter, you know, and he's trying to kind of create this myth of Georgia and he starts writing all this stuff about her paintings, which I'm sure a lot of people know who are listening are, you know, predominantly at this stage, these very close up paintings of flowers. And he's talking about them in like really Freudian terms. And he's talking about them as, representing vulva and the the female sexual ego and kind of putting all this concept and theory on them, which stuck, you know, I actually learned about that when I was, sort of 20 or something I thought that's what Georgia Keith's work was all about and then you realize actually that's not, that's not what she wanted at all it was nothing it was it was her, his endeavor and not hers and she felt that he eventually was sort of putting all his stuff on her and trying to carve her like almost like Pygmalion trying to create this artist that she was his Galatea or something and actually she's like dude back off <laughs> it's not what my art's about at all and this is what I'm about and she had to kind of like practically leave him they know they never separated they did this crazy thing where they basically became pen pals they wrote thousands of letters to each other and she lived in New Mexico and they saw each other like once or twice a year when she would go to New York for shows she needed to create her own space for her art so it made me think about Georgia O'Keefe's entire practice totally differently once I understood um this way this thing that he was really trying to make her into this thing and she had to then resist it
0: One challenge of tackling a topic like this is that some artists had multiple influential relationships. How do you decide on which stories to tell?
1: Picasso is a great example. How do you decide? Actually, with Picasso, it was pretty easy because, you know, gods, we love Picasso's work. You can't have the 20th century if you don't have Picasso, but he is just such an (laughs) arsehole. There's no other word for him. He is so difficult. He's manipulative and calculating and egotistical and misogynistic and... You know, all of those things. And at the same time, sort of fantastically interesting. People just were, found him so deeply charismatic and wanted to be in his orbit, no matter how badly he treated people. But, you know, his track records appalling. You know, his first wife, Olga, went mad and wanted to be with him even on her deathbed, even though he left her for this girl, who she was really a girl when he met her. I think she was like 17, to raise Voltaire. She ended up killing herself on the anniversary of meeting Picasso after he left her. Really sad story. Then he leaves her for Dora Maar, who's the great war photographer, and she becomes practically a nun, you know, later on after Picasso. Only God. And then there's his last wife, who bans everybody of his family members from coming to his funerals. His. Little nephew, Pablito Picasso, drinks bleach on the day of his funeral, kills himself. I mean, this is a wake of destruction. But there is one relationship of all the relationships he had, which were many, and and several of them with artists, was with Francois Gilot, who he was with for 10 years and she gave him two children. And she was always protective of her artistic integrity, she was always fiercely trying to carve out space for herself, she didn't want to be kind of subsumed into the big kind of Picasso vortex, to the extent that if she didn't want him to even draw her, she didn't want to be his muse, because she knew that he would take away her sort of integrity. And she is still alive and working away in her 90s in New York. And she really got the last laugh because she wrote a beautiful, fantastic memoir, a very revealing memoir about her life with Picasso, called A Life with Picasso. And he tried to ban the publication in the 1960s and she won. And the last that she heard from him, he called her up in New York in the 1960s and said, you know, why would you do this? Why would you... put our life on paper like this why would you try and contain our lives on the pages and she says you just don't you just don't understand do you you don't own me you can't control me and that I am independent from you and here I am and there you are. And she left him and he'd never been left before. And then she writes this memoir and she's still painting away now in New York. And I just think this woman is incredible. We need to put a, a statue up to her immediately <laughs> for getting one over on Picasso.
0: There are a few examples of Picasso's portraits of photographer Dora Mara on the Art UK website. Kate mentioned that Mara was with Picasso during the time that he was creating his famous Guernica painting, which documents the horrors of the Spanish Civil War. During this same period, he painted a more colorful image titled Weeping Woman in the Tate Collection, which used Marr as a model. Robert Rauschenberg is another artist who had multiple relationships with artists, including his first wife, Susan Vile, who was an experimental painter.
1: And he left her, he was was having a relationship with Cy Twombly probably when they were in Rome together. And then he was in a relationship with Jasper Johns. There's a lot of artists who are in multiple relationships and particularly amongst the surrealists, there's a lot of bed hopping there, I think. But I was always just looking for what's the distinct story and, and how do these biographies tell us about the art? You know, this book wasn't designed to be sensationalist or to be voyeuristic. It was really trying to use these artists and their romantic relationships to help us understand the art and to give us a viewpoint hopefully that was engaging and accessible.
0: There's another layer in the relationships between some art couples which is the teacher-student dynamic. At times, this led to an imbalance of power between partners and added additional complexity to how artists interacted.
1: There's Lee Miller and Man Ray that, you know, she basically presented herself to Man Ray, tracked him down and said, right, I'm going to become your student. He's like, I don't take students. She's like, you do now. (laughs) Um, And she learned from him and they started making work side by side. And then actually, once she gets really good, he gets really threatened by her and he thinks that she's sort of trying to take away some of his ideas. And threatens her, and she's like, "Who do you think you're talking to?" And leaves, and just leaves him. And then he makes some of the worst art in in the twentieth <laughs> century with these like pathetic. Oh my goodness, like this genius who turned into a complete sort of teenage boy. The worst work I've ever seen of like you know nooses and guns and basically sort of him saying that he's going to kill himself over Lee Miller and all of his artwork. It's just so naff. But they right. film years and years and years later, and she goes on and has just an unbelievable story and it's just clearly someone you just don't want to mess with and and I was really keen to create a counterpoint to what Duchamp said very dryly about the surrealist movement which is that women were basically mistresses muses or models which is just so damning isn't it.
0: Duchamp couldn't have been more wrong. We can disprove his claim further by looking at another artist couple from the Surrealist movement, Max Ernst and Dorothea Tanning. Tanning was a phenomenally talented artist working across painting, printmaking, and sculpture. In 2019, Tate held a large exhibition of her work, showcasing the imaginative and bizarre worlds that she created in her work. Together, the couple hosted many artists in their Arizona home, and they were even married in a joint ceremony with Man Ray and his eventual wife, Juliette Browner. Lee Miller learned and excelled after her relationship with Man Ray, but the teacher-student relationship between sculptors Camille Claudel and Auguste Rodin is an example of a relationship that did not end so well.
1: She certainly collaborated on his work with him. She just wasn't a young woman knocking around the studio. She was a great artist in her own right.
0: Wasn't she super heartbroken? Yeah. Like when they, yeah. Yeah,
1: it's like one of the worst stories in the book, to be honest with you. She she feels like he's created this campaign to give her a bad reputation. We don't know whether he did. He he, he probably didn't actually from the things that I read, but she feels like he's making her out to be not a great artist and she starts having commissions taken away once they split up because he's in a long-term relationship he's not married but he's got a child with someone else and he's never going to leave her so Camille's like extremely distraught about this Um, she tries to get him to sign a contract and stuff that he is going to marry her and he's like I can't so they split up and she just slowly um, begins to really descend into mental illness and eventually gets put into an asylum Um, And they basically lock her up and throw away the key. Even though the doctor said that she could leave after a few years, her family just kept her in there for the rest of her life. And she's buried in an unmarked grave. And probably we think Rodan was sending a little bit of money, but he he never visited her as far as we know. And her, I think it was her nephew tried to, after the um, war, tried to go and get her remains to give her a proper burial um and it was all just it was impossible so it's really sad and and she's now a bit of a national hero thank goodness in France they've got a museum for her in her name, which shows all her work in the town in which she was born. And there's a permanent room at the Rodin Museum to honor her memory, but also to just put her work where we where we need to see it alongside Rodin's. Because actually it's important to know who Camille Claudel is. Not only did she probably introduce a lot more expressionism and romance in his work, you know, the kiss we love so much. It's inspired by Camille Claudel, if not a collaboration with her.
0: As with any relationships, artists or not, some pairings work and some just don't. What's interesting about these stories is that art is such a creative and emotional form of expression and the circumstances of an artist's life can be as interesting as the works they produced.
1: There are sort of amazing things that happen when two artists come together. There is magic and there is power in that and there are these sort of peculiarities that you can only really understand about artists' work if you can get your head around what it is to be so sort of intensely connected you know if you think about Bernd and Hilla Becher their entire life was their work and they were so deeply fused or Gilbert and George I mean there's there's no beginning or end to them you know they've been kind of like living sculptures since 1967 and you can't even separate what is Gilbert and George the the couple these two guys who have been together for so long and and what is their art it is all one thing marina and ulai the same the 12 years that they spent together there was no real beginning to end to life and and art, they were just they were fused together in such a fascinating way. So there's that, but there's also um, there's also that there are just so many artists out there that we just don't know anything about that we are not seeing enough of. If you think about Jacob Lawrence and his wife Gwendolyn Knight, you know he's a he's the first African American artist to be exhibited and collected by the MoMA. His work is such a powerful story about the Harlem Renaissance, about the mass migration across the U.S about the the changing face of American politics and history. And, you know, he's, he's well-known in the States, but not well-known enough, enough outside of the States by any stretch of the imagination. And Gwendolyn Knight, his wife, you know, she didn't get her first solo show in a gallery until she was in her 80s. She died in 2003, a couple of years later. And if you look at the kind of work that she's making, it's about the African-American experience, but it's not political like Jacob's work. It's very personal. And, and if you look at someone like Michelin Thomas today, you know, there's such a, for me anyway, there's such a resonance in contemporary art if you look at what Gwendolyn was doing for decades and we need to just make sure that we're conscious of the fact that there is a very western centric white centric straight centric art history that that that's the strongest narrative and we've got to resist it you know it's like a big tide and we've got to swim in the opposite direction and we we have to be responsible for shining a light on these other stories
0: Many thanks to Kate Bryan for joining me on this episode to give a taste of the fascinating stories in her book, The Art of Love. If you'd like to see works by some of the artists from our discussion, head over to ArtUK.org to see the article for this episode. And of course, you can read Kate's book to get the full stories. As always, thank you for listening and please join us again next time.